0: Here we are, worship, watch, and warn the revelation of Jesus Christ. Today we're in Revelation 11 and 12. If you can open the Bible or get a gadget up there, ready to go. It will be on the screen so you can follow along there. Uh, There are notes on the back table if you're taking notes. Our big idea is I must praise God for the victory over evil. I, I know that. As we're describing evil through the book of Revelation, it can be a little discouraging or, or depressing. But don't forget, it is great to know the contrast. Really, seeing Revelation and what's to come is a great contrast between good and evil, light and darkness. And I love the song we sang, I'm going to see a victory. We're going to win in the end. It's okay, everybody. But we are definitely going through the dark and light, good versus evil. And there's a huge contrast Having a good contrast is okay. Everybody see this tree stump? See, contrast is very important. If you look at this tree stump, and all you see a tree stump, you don't see the snakes. Why? Because snakes. Can you see that snake? You see them slithering up that tree? Do you see this snake? There's another one. You saw that one? Did you see the other one? There's another one right there. See, contrast. Everybody say contrast. I want contrast. I don't want to walk through the woods knowing that there might be snakes on trees. I don't, by the way, I hate snakes too. Horses, I, I struggle with. Snakes, I definitely hate. If you love snakes, don't make it your life mission to make me like snakes. When I talk about horses, I love it. We've got people in our church that are horse people, and they've been contacting me. Come on over, and we'll get you on a horse. No, that's not my purpose in telling you. I don't want to get on a horse. I do not want to love a snake. If you love snakes, you can live anti-biblical. That's fine. God says in Scripture, he says, I will put enmity between the man and the serpent. I 'm living biblically, hate those things, so if you love them, God bless you, OK. Uh, but snakes, I want contrast. Those boogers are made for camouflage, and when it comes to the end of times, there is no camouflaging good versus evil. The Bible in Revelation makes it so clear that it is a distinct battle that takes place, and let 's go there. Revelation 11:17 17, a key verse out of our passage, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. There's coming a time when Satan will not have rule over this world anymore. And King Jesus will take over. He's going to get that title deed. We're going to see it this week. He's going to reclaim the title deed of this earth, and he will reign. Contrasting good versus evil. Well, here's where we've been. Those awful sealed judgments, we went through one through six, and there was a pause, and then we got the seventh one, and then we did the trumpet judgments last week, uh, one through six, and and the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet were the first of the three woes, and then there's a great pause, again, God follows this, this order, I mean, look at the whole big scheme We have law and then grace, and grace was a parenthesis period that the law people did not see coming. And so God likes to throw these parentheses in that nobody saw. And so through Revelation, you got seven seals, but the sixth and seventh are interrupted by a little parenthesis. And now we get to the trumpets, and we get to the sixth one, and there's a parenthesis. And we find that starting in 11. So we're going to get to the seventh trumpet at the end of today, but let's talk through what we have in the parentheses first. Let's read Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2. An angel came and handed John a reed. It says in verse 1, I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and I was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. Well, what's this all about? we stopped all the judgment all of a sudden. Now we've got a scene happening up in heaven. Uh, John has this, he's been given a measuring reed. We don't use measuring reeds today. We use measuring tapes. Um, they used to use hard enough so they wouldn't bend or break a reed that was about 10 foot long. Typically, they would use to measure things. He was given this reed, and all of a sudden, he's a holy participant. Not only is he an observer and writer, God's like, go to work. You physically do this. By the way, in Ezekiel, he was told to measure the temple of the Lord as well. In the Old Testament, he was told to measure. And we're going to find in Revelation, I think it's 19 or 20, that there's going to be another measurement taken of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's going to shock you. It's pretty cool when you see those measurements. So God is, is, is prone to do this every once in a while, Throughout the measurements. Uh, I think there's a deeper reason he's told to measure the inner temple Sanctuary, did you notice? Just the inner temple that includes the holy place and the holy of holies, not the outer court where the Gentiles could be, where the teaching was usually done, and the marketplace was. Remember when Jesus came and flipped the tables? It was outside of the holy place and the holy of holies, in the, the, the court of the Gentiles where people could be. He's told not to measure that. Why? Because we are in a spot now, roughly, we're in the middle of the tribulation period in Revelation, timeline wise. And the Gentiles are going to overrun all of this happening inside. It's going to be the time of the Gentiles. And and the Lord's specifically telling John, measure what's mine. And I have to tell you, I think personally, it's pointing out that what's going to take place through the next section is mostly about the nation of Israel. About the Jewish people. Why else would he say, measure the... Inner sanctuary where the Jewish people could be. Holy of Holies where only the high priest of the Jews could be. And so God is pointing something out that's about to take place. Not the outer court. That's not to be measured. So let's uh, start reading then in verse 3. And let's read about these two witnesses that are coming. Verse 3. Uh, Let's go back to verse two. Exclude the outer cord, Do not measure it because we be give it to the Gentiles. And it goes on from there. They will trample on the holy city for forty-two months. What's forty-two months? Anybody? Three and a half years. Okay, uh, or, 120, or one hundred and twenty or one thousand two hundred sixty days. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 1, days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Verse 6. They have power to shut up the heavens so it will not rain during the time, and they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want it. How many of you would like to have this power for a day? Man, I hate to reveal the heart of your pastor, but at times, if I could just speak judgment, that's why God does not give it to me. He knows that every car on the road would be vaporized, especially those ones trying to cut me off and sneak in during the work zones. I would say, fire! Fire! We don't have this power, but these two witnesses do. They're given this special power. So what's their ministry? Two witnesses. Again, are we thinking this is symbolic or is this literal? My uh, take on this is you always try to take a literal interpretation where you can take a literal interpretation. And so I believe my take on this is this is more of a literal thing. There are two witnesses. And they preach for the last Uh, three and a half years of this uh tribulation seven-year period 42 months three and a half years they're preaching they're mourning we see that they're in sackcloth so they're mourning and they're they're mourning the disobedience of israel specifically is what they're mourning and then they are divine representatives it's very clear that they are from god Uh, The Bible says they're olive trees and they are candlesticks. The fruit of the olive, the press of the olives creates an oil that they used in the lamps and they're both fruit and light. Uh, We're told to be bright and salty as Christians and they are the fruit and the light and they are witnessing. By the way, God never leaves a period without a witness. There's not a period where he hasn't set aside a special witness. Look at Elijah and Elisha. They came at a very dark time. God sent them as witnesses. Um, You look at uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a witness during a very dark uh, Jewish religious time when they didn't believe that the Messiah was Jesus. And here's John pointing the way. God always has somebody there. Why does there need to be 144,000 Jews sealed? Why do there need to be two witnesses, probably Jews, that are sealed? Again, I believe the church is gone. The witness is gone. I believe pre-tribulation rapture, the church has gone. We're going to see today in our teaching that then those who are left are Gentile unbelievers and unbelieving Jewish people. Except for the Jewish people that are seeing that they were wrong. They need a witness. They need people to preach to them. It was Jesus that they missed. Next Uh, They're divinely protected. God does not let them be harmed. For three and a half years, they are protected. All they have to do is speak it, and their enemies are vaporized. And they're divinely empowered. Like, everybody say like. When I say this, I don't want you to fall and think that I'm saying they were moses and elijah but just like moses and elijah did you see the description about turning the water into blood and being able to cast out plagues be able to stop it from raining obviously that's like elijah and like moses there is so much speculation on who these two witnesses are i am more convinced than ever to not have to worry about it Uh, let me just tell you quickly a lot of people think this is moses and elijah A lot of people think that these two witnesses are Elijah and Enoch. That's interesting, but I don't really care who they are. Uh, It could be Elijah and Enoch. Why? Because those two never died. What does the Bible say? It is appointed unto man once to die. Right? And so there's been speculation that these are our uh, Elijah and Enoch come back to be witnesses because they're going to get martyred and they will die and then be translated. Then we got everybody caught up who didn't die. That's really neat and it ties a really neat bow. I like tying bows on things, but on this case, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Um, you, can, you can think whatever you think about these. All we know is that if God wanted you to know it was Elijah and Enoch, he would have said Elijah and Enoch. If he wanted you to think it was Elijah and Moses, if he wanted you to think it was Zechariah and Hezekiah, and, uh, he would have told us, but he didn't. He said, I have two witnesses, so I can leave it at that. They are martyred. The Bible clearly says, we didn't read that yet, so let's read it, 7 through 10. Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. They're martyred. These two witnesses are there to proclaim the Messiah is Jesus. God's sovereign permission allows the Antichrist to kill them. Obviously, they're under God's divine protection until the time comes that God allows that to happen let me point out Jesus. Jesus was divinely protected until the appointed time to die on the cross. Satan, you're going to see in this passage as well, was out to kill Jesus from before birth. Satan was on a mission to destroy Jesus. Some believe that the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was Satan's attempt to kill him. First with the food, he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He tried to get him to eat bread. Doctors say that if you eat bread, A large amount of bread after fasting for that long, it could kill you. He tried to get him to jump off the highest place of the temple, and the angels would say. Some people believe that Satan's whole goal was to wipe out Jesus, but he could not. God had him divinely protected until the cross. That was the time. These two witnesses in the same line, they will not be touched until it's time. And then God allows it to happen. The Antichrist will come. The Antichrist will kill them publicly. And their bodies will be put on public display in Jerusalem. Can you imagine reading this revelation uh, a thousand years ago? How is every nation, tongue, and tribe going to witness this? I can imagine a thousand years ago as they're reading this, like, what's going to happen? I mean, how is everybody going to see this from different continents? Well, today, right, we know it's going to be easy to broadcast this. And these two witnesses are going to be so hated. Not only are they preaching this gospel that the world is going to refuse, but they're able to put down plagues. And the Bible doesn't go into it. It just says they're they're able to just throw plagues. How awful is this? And they're going to be hated. For three and a half years, the people on this earth are going to be tortured through this. And so when they are killed, boy, the Antichrist is going to have a field day. It's going to be loved. There's going to be, it's like Christmas. The people are going to be giving each other gifts. I don't know, you know if Hallmark's going to have a kill the witnesses day. I don't know, you know, a special card. I don't know, but they're going to party. They're going to be drinking and celebration in the streets. Viewed by the world for three and a half days. Unsaved will celebrate their death. And then there's the resurrection. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet and terror-struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At the very hour, there was a severe earthquake. And a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Once again, people during this time know that this is a divine tribulation. God is pouring out his wrath. And they give glory to God, although they hate God. And this probably scares the snot out of the people. For three and a half days, they're gloating. They're celebrating. They're partying in the streets. They're, they're giving presents to one another. And all of a sudden, those two stand up on CNN. Boom. BBC. Boom. NPR. Boom. Showing. They're back. And now they're thinking, oh my goodness, they were something to handle before. Now we killed them and they're back. This is going to be awful. But I love I love how the Bible tells us what happens. Three and one half days after death, they rise. I love how they come to life. God says, come. They're gone. It's, it's a really quick thing. They stand up in full presence of the whole world, breathing, living. God says, come. They're gone. Whew. God immediately calls them and he takes them up. The unsaved are struck with terror. The severe earthquake kills 7,000 people. And again, I don't know if you're doing a body count, but it's awful. Death and mayhem are reigning during this tribulation period. Survivors recognize the true and living God. Not that they repent and turn to him, but they recognize him. So where are we at? This brings us to the end of the sixth trumpet, okay? Are you with me still? Everybody say yes, PD. So now we finish the sixth trumpet. That's the second woe. And now we're heading into the seventh trumpet. We finished that, the sixth trumpet and the parentheses period. Now the seventh trumpet, which is the third woe. Let's read 15 through 19. The Bible says in verse 14, the second woe is past. the third woe is coming. The seventh trumpet. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of the Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Who's got the deed? Thank you, one person. You ever anticlimactic when you were like hoping for a big you know who's got the deed oh there we go good so now he didn't have the title deed satan had the title deed now we're told that this is this is happening jesus now the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his messiah and he will reign forever and ever i get a little happy and a little excited like whoo evil has been dark and thick but we're starting to see he's gonna have the victory And the 24 elders, in verse 16, who were seated on their thrones before God, fell on their face and they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, and because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Well, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants and the prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. All right, put your seatbelts on. Things get a little strange here. Time goes from heaven to earth and back and forth. God is a God of infinity from always was, always will be. And and so what's going to happen here is going to be some weird stuff happening time warp wise. Whoops. First, we got the transfer of the title deed. Amen. He has it. He owns it. Secondly, the nations will be angry. They already recognize it's God, but they are angry and they are not repenting. This is, it's going to be an all out war and then, thirdly, we see the final judgment is revealed. It tells us that the angels and the redeemed are both rejoicing in heaven at this point. That God will claim victory. So that's what's happening in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant is revealed. Again, these are not, I don't think they're accidental or incidental things. The Bible says heaven was open and the Ark of the Covenant was shown. What does that represent? It represents God's covenant with his chosen people. What's going to happen here, you're going to see, is clearly about Israel here on this earth. And that's what's happening in this passage. Five, indicators of divine judgment on the enemies of Israel. That's all those peals of thunder and lightning and the hailstorm. God is going to rain down judgment. Not only on Israel for the disobedience, for the nations that have been attacking them. Israel, by the way, at this point uh, uh, has been, uh, the peace has ended. The Antichrist has come and broken that peace now. And now Israel is in an all-out flight. We'll see that uh, here in just a second. We move into the holy war. Revelation 12. Verse 1 and 2, a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. There's debate, there's a lot of discussion on these things, I can only see it. Um, And if you want to read deeply into this, I suggest Dwight Pentecost. Dwight Pentecost is like the premier writer on end times. I've got a book that's that thick. I got to drive a bus yesterday for a different church. They were having an event, and I said I would do it because uh, I was able to have the whole day where I could just read. And so, boy, I was reading. I was having such a great time reading. And Dwight Pentecost lays this out so clearly. There are different versions of people want to believe who this woman is. Hopefully you can see with me, God makes it very abundantly clear we're talking about uh, a representative of the nation, Israel. This woman, uh, from Eve to Mary, uh, Jesus' line is shown to come through through Mary, through the mother's side and all the way through. We also have uh, from the male side, but very clearly, the woman talked about here is not Mary. It's not a, a single person, you'll see in just a second, I know that offends some, but it's the nation of Israel. The sun is Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. The moon is Leah. We're talking about who the line of Jesus comes. The Bible says uh, she was pregnant and cried out in pain and she was about to give birth. So what are we talking about here? We're not talking about a lady, but we're talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, she's called over, I don't know, 24 times a she or a her in scripture Israel is referred to. There's 12 stars. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. God is very clearly pointing out by by saying, uh, here's the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to talk about my mason Israel. Then he moves right into talking about her, the woman, Israel. Then there's the dragon that appears. Verse 3 and 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born who's this dragon clearly in scripture it's satan nobody else actually has another idea they everybody agrees on this one so satan why a dragon? Well, power, ferocity, murderous, uh, that's what a dragon is. And those of you who have dragons at home, don't try to get me to like your dragon, like I don't like snakes and horses. No, no good on dragons, okay? Satan is this mighty red dragon, and he comes, uh, and, and he's got the seven crowned heads, ten horns, identify him as the supernatural force behind the Antichrist. So you've got the beast, the Antichrist. Who's the power behind that? It's Satan himself. They're not one and the same, but Satan is the power behind this antichrist heavenly stars cast to earth are the third of angels who followed Satan in rebellion against God we know that Satan was cast out of heaven and those disobedient angels went with him and I believe this is what was being talked about here. Satan's attempt to kill any link to the Messianic line. Like I said earlier, when Jesus uh, was, was about to be born, remember, even Herod was told about the birth of the Messiah. What did he do? He wanted to have every child, two years and younger, male child, murdered. Satan has always been trying to wipe out the Messianic line, trying to take it away so that Jesus couldn't be born or couldn't die. One of the two things. So we've got the woman is Israel, the dragon is Satan, Who's the child? Everybody agrees on this one too. Phew. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Verses 5 and 6. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days or the last three and a half years of the tribulation who's the child it's jesus the timeline is warp speed did you notice that the Bible says he was born and then he was caught up to God? Well, we skipped his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, which we don't do. Look in the book of John and all the Gospels for those kind of things. But Jesus, I'm telling you, you've got God's time frame here. And God's like, we're talking about Jesus. And let's go to the point. Now we're back to time. And we're going to get back to this. This picks up at the middle of the tribulation where Israel is forced to leave the promised land. So we have Israel. Jesus comes from the dragon is about to attack Israel once Jesus dead and then we've got the war let's look at the war verses 7 through 12 then war broke out in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say. Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God. And of the authority of his Messiah. From the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Who accuses them before our God day and night. Has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short we'll stop there there's a great heavenly battle that takes place with michael We know Michael is one of the powerful angels, one of the mighty angels that said, I don't know how many of these mighty angels there are, but there are a few that the Bible mentions. But Michael specifically is called out and he gets to go and fight the red dragon, Satan. I'm hoping I can watch that. You know, I I don't know if I want to be there live on scene and get shrapnel, but I'm hoping that it's going to be shot via to my room in heaven because I want to watch this war. It's going to be epic. Michael and Satan having it out. The good news is, Satan will lose. Everybody said lose. He's a loser. He's going to lose in the end. He's got no power over God. He, he, don't mess with him. I'm not making light of Satan and his demonic work. You never want to mess with that. Be careful. But at the same time, I will say with authority, he has nothing over the power of God. And he will lose and be forced to earth. Heaven rejoices. The Bible clearly states that heaven will rejoice, but woe to the earth. So this heavenly battle takes place. Michael and the red dragon and Satan is sent down here. And when he comes down here, he specifically goes after Israel. It's the last part of the tribulation period here. And Satan goes after the woman. Let's read about that. Verse 13 through 17. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Just stop just for a second and again. Why doesn't the Bible talk about the church? And all that we've talked about, why isn't the church being mentioned during the tribulation period? Why isn't the church witnessing about Jesus? Why isn't the church uh, being attacked by Satan when Satan comes? Why? I think it's because we're gone. I, I think the evidence becomes very clear that, that there's, a, there's a reason why Satan comes and he has to go after the woman. That's the only remnant left of any chance. And, and so he's going after Israel. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time and times and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. Verse 15. Then from the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. What do we have happening? We have Satan on the loose. I believe the church is gone. So at the end of the tribulation, he's going after Israel. And this is part of what was coming to Israel, part of the judgment. God's allowing this. But notice, God doesn't allow him to be destroyed, does he? He's still got a hand of protection about him, Even when Satan has them cornered somehow and there's some mighty water coming, God protects them. And Satan's so mad, then he, who does he go after? Her offspring, those that believe. Not only is this against just nation Israel... And there's a group of people that are Messianic Jews at this point. They believe in Jesus. They're Jewish uh, by their birth, but now they've believed in Messiah. And Satan is definitely going after those who are here at that time. I hope uh, you can see in scripture you don't have to agree with all the timeline and what i'm proposing there are plenty of other options out there Uh, but for me as i study and i read it i just not not arrogant not arrogant please don't think me arrogant there's a lot i don't know but i am more convinced on the place i stand i stand here not on flimsy ground i stand there based on what i see and it becomes very clear that we're talking about israel at this point satan then goes after the jews believing in jesus he has to focus his attention there why not the church? Well, you can decide whether you believe we're here or not. I believe we're gone. By the way, we'll pick it up uh, in two weeks, and we start seeing what's happening in heaven during this time. We kind of do. A, we've seen what's happening on Earth, and now we're going to go back and find out what happens in heaven. When we get there, when we're raptured, the believers then go through the judgment seat, the Bema seat, and we are rewarded. I'll talk about rewards and what that all means. And then there's, uh, I don't want to confuse the marriage supper of the Lamb and the feast of the Lamb and all those things. But all those things are taking place, I believe, during these seven years when the earth is happening, tribulation, we're up in heaven, preparing for the bride and the groom and then the horses, and then we come back. There's a lot that's going to be taking place. Hopefully you're tracking with us, and hopefully you see today contrast. Everybody say contrast. Oh, I didn't have it up there, but now I think what we've got is seven seal judgments, and we've got seven trumpets, and then we go to the bull judgments To wrap your head around and I'd encourage you to read ahead, start looking at this. I believe what we've seen in the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, everything that's going to happen in the seven years of the tribulation. When we get now to the bowl judgments, I think we're going to go rewind and we're going to see it all happening again in more detail. That's what I I think in the timeline. I'll I'll talk about it when we get there. But I think the bowl judgments now are an overview where we get more detail about the Antichrist and about some of the things that take place. Fasten your seatbelts, get ready for that, because wow, if you think it's been depressing now, wait till you get there. But we win in the end, amen?